Welcome to another episode of In the Name of Service, a podcast committed to sharing the untold stories of those who selflessly serve. Each episode features an interview with men and women who have been called to a variety of service-focused roles, such as the military, law enforcement, ministry, volunteering, and more. You aren't likely to know the names of the individuals you meet here, but our hope is by the end of our time together, you'll not only know their stories, but possibly be inspired to write your own in some way. Humble in nature, but strong in character, these everyday men and women showcase what it is to truly be a servant. We're glad you're here. Now here's your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. As a United States Army veteran and operational psychologist, I've spent my career working with military and law enforcement units, conducting in-depth interviews with hundreds of individuals who are hoping to earn their place on high-risk, high-performing teams. In most cases, they've already put in years of grueling physical and mental work just to get the chance to serve and sacrifice more. And that type of selflessness is special, and I feel worthy of recognition. While each person's story is unique and every path to service different, their goals are similar. To do something more, to be part of something bigger, to make a difference. These difference makers were the catalyst behind this podcast. And it is my absolute privilege to share their stories with you. And today I get to introduce another one, uh, Michael Halterman. What do you like to be called? Halty? It's so fun to say, but I feel like sometimes you yeah, gotta know all my friends call me Halty. Okay, awesome. No, well, no, jump right in. There's always there's always like five or six Mikes or Michaels in the room, <laughs> so Halty just cuts through the noise. And, and it's, it's fun easier. to say. Okay. Um, so we met virtually, I was trying to stand up a transition program at the, my last unit. Um, and Mm -hmm. I reached out to you randomly on LinkedIn and you were so polite and, um, our, our unit ended up, um, forming a relationship with your organization and, um, and it has go, it has gone on to grow into something, um, that is very beneficial, for our unit members and even mm-hmm. just kind of people in that local area. So it's been really awesome. Um, we've spoken a little bit and I know a little bit about your, your background in the starting in the Marines infantry and getting into mm-hmm. soft. Uh, but why don't you, you're going to do it better than me. So why don't you tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So small town kid grew up on the center coast of California playing team sports and then doing a lot of individual sports. So it kind of gave me a good balance. And then as I was getting done with high school that I barely made it through, if I'm going to be quite honest with you, um, I took (laughs) those really poor student skills. I took those really poor student skills into uh, my first attempt, I will call it at college. Um, And it went really poorly, just like you would expect, because they're not going to push you through or let you slide by. So college blew up. And at some point I realized I'm a small town kid with not a lot of choices. And there's a big, bright possibility of the world out there that I wanted to go experience. And it wasn't going to happen in my small town as nice as it was. So I joined some friends. I had a couple of friends that were ahead of me in in high school that had joined the Marine Corps. Um, And so uh, I did that. And, you know, in your youth, or at least for me in my youth, I joined for adventure, quite honestly. Service and those yeah. things came later. Um, but I joined right. as an infantryman. Yeah, I joined as an infantryman right away. And um, I really f- scratched and fought to be an infantryman um, because I really felt like that's where I, I wanted to be. Um, little did I know how miserable 
and yet wonderful. <laughs> it would be at the same time. Uh, yeah. So I did about 10 years uh, as an infantryman from the late 90s um, for context on 9-11. Uh, I was on patrol in Kosovo uh, when 9-11 happened, um, which was just absolutely surreal. Uh, and then, right. you know, a few short years later, I found myself as part of the invasion force uh, as an infantryman, um, you know, uh, doing the the long three day, two and a half day, at least three day march from Kuwait all the way up to uh, we end up in Anazaria, um, third largest city uh, in southern Afghan or southern um, Iraq. So I got my first combat experience there. And while I was standing on a rooftop, yeah. literally I'd been in country a month, standing on a rooftop. Uh, doing firewatch, like real firewatch finally for the first time. Um, <laughs> I basically watch a special operations um, night raid unfold kind of in front of me, a couple of clicks in front of me. And so like Incredible. I'm on these old like monocular, like whatever, seven deltas or whatever they were back then. So I didn't mm -hmm. see a lot, but I could make out the gist of it. And I thought, I'm loving my combat experience and I love what I do, but whatever that was, like, I've got to go be a part of that. I have no idea what that was, but that was some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. So that just really changed my mindset and really started making me hunt for what is that next thing and really search yeah. it out. Mind you, this is before Google. Like, right. It was, it was really to hard to figure all people. of that stuff out. <laughs> you had to talk to humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to talk to humans and you can imagine how popular someone is when they say, I want to leave here and go somewhere else. Um, Marine Corps, Marine Corps first sergeants don't uh, take that too well. Uh, no. So I became very popular for the wrong reason. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I found myself just right, right time, Were you right alone? Place. Yeah. Right time, right place. I, Were you alone at that in time, that? You know, okay. A lot of the guys were, you know, my peer group was trying for things like scout snipers, which ironically just folded. That's completely gone away. The last graduating class is happening here um, in a couple of days. And then um, hey. some guys had gone to recon. <clears throat> so we had seen some of those things, but no one had really made the leap to special operations. Um, but, you know, it just put me in a different path, uh, path and it made me train much, much harder and prepare myself mentally in a very different way. And I found myself because of my preparedness and a little bit of luck, um, right time, right place when Marsoc started in, uh, 2007 on the West coast. And I got the opportunity to join. Um, and I spent the next 10 years. So about 10 years in the infantry and then 10 years in special operations being a Raider before we were even allowed to call ourselves Raiders. Um, got to do three back to back, um, Trips to Afghanistan, did, you know, the stereotypical J sets and CNTs and those things. And it was absolute blast. I really, really enjoyed it. Is there one experience that stands out above the rest as you reflect on it? Mm. Thinking back to the really early days of, of, um, just getting to a unit that really didn't know how it was going to structure itself um, and mm. what it was going to call itself and what uniforms it was going to wear and what weapons it was going to use. And kind of everything was up for decision-making at all levels. Um, what I didn't realize was I was learning, I was learning the entrepreneurial mind in the moment. And yeah. it would seem to me that the guys who adapted the best and stuck around and really excelled 
are all tremendously capable entrepreneurs if they so decide. And some of them have decided mm. to, and they are, they're great at it. So the adaptability, the literally the endless decision-making that comes with kind of that time and space was just an amazing growth opportunity. So I, I'm really thankful right. for that opportunity. And it, it really made the rest of my career something uniquely special that I wouldn't have experienced anywhere else. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay. I want to kind of press rewind if that's okay. So you mentioned yeah, you, uh, other guys initially when you were, you know, infantry, uh, we're going in other directions mm -hmm. and you wanted to do the really hard stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Describe for us a little bit of your upbringing. I know you said you grew up in a small town. Do you feel like there's a few mm -hmm. experiences or people that like shaped that in you? Mm. Yeah, I would say qualitatively, right? I'm an N of one. Um, but through the conversations I've had with many of the guys that I look up to, my peers, guys I've been on teams with, almost all of us come from broken homes. <laughs> and we come yeah. or some oh, pretty right. extreme circumstances in our upbringing. Um, so that seems to be a commonality. Now, look, I didn't have it bad. I feel very fortunate the way I grew up. Um, my parents were divorced very early on, which made its own interesting, um, which I feel lucky, quite honestly. My mom was mm. very open-minded, science, read books. And my dad was very um, uh, conservative, um, Protestant Christian values. And so I understand both of those worlds very well. And that is yeah. a good swath of America. So it's, those are really good mm -hmm. perspectives to hold in my head and be a part of. Mm -hmm. So it allows me, I feel like most times to be much more adaptable in some social situations or in other situations where I just, it doesn't, it all feels pretty normal to me. And then Growing up just kind of in California with the opportunities to be outdoorsy all year round, being able to hike, climb mountains, all of the ride horses and all of these things, just having the experience to be out wild and free before helmets were mandatory for everything <laughs> um, really, really gives you, uh, you know, the ability to grow up adventurous and seek more adventure, I think, yeah. in some ways as you get older and more confident. So. And I, like, I had an amazing mother who literally, she taught me how to weightlift, right? And I had a, an extremely hardworking dad who was, you know, a, uh, a, a really good high school wrestler and football player. And like, he taught me how to wrestle. And, and so like, I, I got raised to be tough, you know, to be, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, not roll your, sh you know, roll your shoulders back, pick your chin up, work hard and all those things. And so I think I benefited from having great parents and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, what, you know, when we have children, the natural inclination is to, to protect them and raise them in a certain way. And it can be hard kind of writing that, that mm. line of how, how much do I let them do alone and how much do I allow them to struggle because mm -hmm. that struggle, I know, cause I've talked to so many, like hundreds of people who tell me the same thing right um so i know with my sons yeah uh, i watched my son the other day we were out uh, kind of like walking in the woods and he wanted this pine cone this is an aside we'll get back to the story i promise he wanted this pine cone and it was like just out of his reach 
and I'm not far from him, but he yeah. started jumping to get this pine cone and it was like 10 times and I could hear him talking to himself and um, he wasn't getting it, but I just let him, I just let him go. Like he wasn't hurting. You know what I mean? Um, and you feel right. like he's small. You want You want to help. This is just a stupid little example of the bigger concept, but you're like, I could easily get that. Here you go. Here's a pine cone. Is that what you want? Okay. Now you have it. Let's go. No, like I was just in it, just in it to watch it. And I feel like that's a small example of what you're talking about. Just this ability to gain confidence and competence about your own ability Mm -hmm. um, independently. And then Mm -hmm. that leads you, it grows and it allows you to do really amazing things. So you talked a little bit about not having choice and that's why you joined the military. And your sense of adventure. <laughs> um, so, yeah. did I miss anything? <laughs> and no, your friends, no, I you, guess. You nailed that astutely. And me, me in my twenties, there I was. That was that was my binary capability before my I, prefrontal cortex man, came online. I, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love that we can't predict where we're going to go in the future. Um, how how do you think about your experience? now? Um, Extremely broad question, but Mm. what experiences um, come to mind when you think about um, the 20 plus years that you you served? The immediate immediate thing that comes uh, to mind is just gratitude. Just Mm. grateful Mm. I was able to do it. And and to to be realistic, but not dramatic, grateful I survived some of it. Um, Grateful I got to meet some of the most amazing, most intelligent, physically gifted, like genetic freak people that America has. <laughs> um, some of whom are immigrants who became citizens while in platoons Absolutely, and on teams sure. and are also amazing yes. humans and Americans now. Um, and it just, it gives you, you know, going to war gives you a worldview that cannot be replaced with anything else that is done in any other industry or job or experience. I mean, there's some really close relationships, obviously, with uh, first responders of of all types, and and there's a, there's a shared understanding, but there is a visceral reality about the inner workings of psychology and culture that you just you can't get anywhere else than being in war. And I'm grateful that I got to experience those things. And now as a middle-aged man, I hope that no one ever has to again, but that's not the reality of the world Mm. we live in. So be prepared. No. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the worldview? Like, what do you, what do you mean when you say that? Um, I would say it would seem to me um, I'm, I'm really busy working on a big chunk of history right now. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and going all the way back to, yeah, going back to Egypt and really Samaria and then going all the way forward to about the time of Napoleon. And you start to see this pattern, this like kind of wave form pattern of civilizations rise and fall. Um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm only through just past like Assyria, um, and what I'm starting to see, at least for myself, I'm, I'm not an academic, um, I'm not, you know, doing a, a research paper or anything like that. But what I'm the, what I'm starting to see is the world is in a contentious, competitive, 
lack of communication space that is so filled with, and I'm going to use this word academically. I don't mean it in a, uh, in a slang way. It's so full of bullshit. Um, there's a really good paper by Harry G. Frankfurt. Frankfurt? Frankfurt. Um, we'll clean that up in the show notes. But that paper <laughs> talks about why bullshit is more insidious than lying. Because you have to care about the truth if you're going to lie. But if you're bullshitting, you don't even care about the truth. You just care about getting what you want. Right. And if you look at the myriad of communication that's happening across so many different platforms, we're just swimming in bullshit. It's mm -hmm. just people driving other people to get them to purchase something or get them to think away. Right. So all of that to say, yes. um, it would it would seem to me it's a it's a difficult time that makes transitioning really exponentially different difficult in a different way. Yeah. Yes. I want to, I, um, difficult in a different way. If I forget, I want to mm. go, get back to that. Um, I think you're so right. What do you think for you was, um, most challenging during your years of service? Mm. I can only say this now with some deep contemplation under my belt, some meditation, yeah. um, and being middle-aged at 46. My ego, uh, my addiction to alcohol, mm. um, mm -hmm. my addiction to anger. Um, those were those were by far my biggest challenges that impeded me in my ability to be a better teammate, uh, to excel even further potentially in my career. Yeah, I mean, I have about a hundred questions about that, but <laughs> I think people. I think people can see a little bit, right? Like how anger would get in the way of you being a good team out, how, how alcohol would degrade your performance across the board, mm -hmm. um, even though it's used mm -hmm. a lot in the military culture. Can you talk a little bit about the ego part? Sure. Ego can show up in a lot of different ways. And I, at least for me, the first way I usually used to think about it was it could be, um, a very, um, not a passive ego, but a very, um, active ego where it's like, look at me, the, the puffery, the, the, I'm going <laughs> to be the best because I want to beat everybody and all of those things. There can also be a passive ego in my mind where it's mm. dwelling on the self and you care more about looking cool than doing what's right. You care oh, more about so how you're perceived than the quality of who you actually are. Um, there's another really interesting piece of work done by an author whose name I forget, which is unfortunate. But um, at some point in the 1950s, uh, marketing went from talking about being a man or woman of character mm -hmm. to being a man or woman of interest. Mm. So it's, it's more important to be interesting than to be a man or woman of character. And think of the implications of that. And I've, I've lived that. Right. I've tried to be interesting at times instead of being a man of character and I've paid for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, how have you paid for it? It's harmful to myself, starting with the most basic, most important relationship, the relationship with the self. It's harmful to every, and then if you work in concentric circles out, it's harmful to every relationship um, that you're a part of that's in your sphere of influence because 
you're not showing up authentic. You're not showing up yeah. being the most purposeful, useful version of you. It's in there, right? There, you, I'm not saying you um, was a terrible person or or any of these things, but could I have done better? Was there plenty of opportunity to do better? Absolutely. Hmm. And I see that now. Yeah, yeah. How did you figure that out? Like, how how did that come to you? Were you given feedback or? Hmm. I mean, you mentioned it was it was reflective and, you know, during kind of, you know, meditative mm -hmm. almost. I think a, a few things kind of came together at the same time for me is I, I took meditation seriously for the first time combined with taking reading seriously. And, and I mean, reading material outside of the like commanders read list and, and, and those things, which there's nothing <laughs> wrong with those. I just I wasn't start. a reader is, back then. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. many of those books are really good books. Um, but really, um, delving into, I mean, these, I'm, I'm talking about existential questions that have been grappled with since the beginning of writing, right? The Greeks, the West, all of Western right. culture. I mean, there's, right. and then when you, when you start looking at that, you know, what are, what are the contemporary works? Well, you have all the great religions coming online kind of at the same time. Why? I mean, that's a great question to ask yourself at some point. And then how do they interflect with each other? And as I, so as I was digesting all of that and reading a ton of history and seeing how it kind of weaves its <laughs> way through, I kept seeing this opportunity of I'm not being the best I can be. I'm not mm -hmm. showing up mm -hmm. with my full potential. And what the craziest part for me has been is it's never been about me. The the point of being the mm -hmm. best you isn't about you. Right. Whoa, wait, what? Right. Right. The point Hold of it. being the best yes. you is that you show, you can show up with capacity for others. Right. And once that right. clicks, you've walked through a door that you can never walk back through and you view the world much differently. Right. That's so and I good. Had, like, I you had know, great um, grandparents and I had great um, uncles and, and others who tried to teach me that, but it didn't click until easily the last five-ish years. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting that, you know, the assessment and selection for these top-tiered units has in the past few years mm. become to focus less on the performance and more on the character. And I think it's because we're learning, right, um, from, mm -hmm. from men and women like you who are looking back and saying, like, yeah, we did awesome, but we could be better. Um, Mm -hmm. And better in the mm -hmm. sense that you just you just described. So, and that's hard. It's relieving, mm. and it's difficult all at the same time because it's relieving to say I don't have to be anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I mean, I can always try my best, but I don't have to pretend, right? Um, but then it's mm -hmm. terrifying mm -hmm. because it's like, well, how do you how do you develop real, true, never going to go mm -hmm. away? Um, when you're faced with a hard decision alone in the dark or facing a real enemy character. Mm -hmm. So anyway, mm -hmm. I love and that you brought that up. what part of you doesn't fit that and you need to cut it away? So mm. scary. That's difficult. 
Mm -hmm. Jazz. Love it. But it's exciting, too. Um, It's, well, and I think, you know, terrifying Mm -hmm. things are, they can be exciting. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) I'm in the right place. are now... You're now, we've kind of been talking about your, your military experience, um, but you're now a part of, and you have been for, for quite a long time, an incredible organization that aims to help veterans in many ways. So tell us all about how mm-hmm. you came to serve with the Honor Foundation. Yeah, I so um, I knew that my transition was going to... I was coming to the end of my 20 years and it was looking as the closer I got to 20 year mark that that was going to be, that was going to be the end for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I were prepared for that decision and it was feeling more and more likely to be the best decision for us and, and, and all of those things. Cause at some point for me, as I was showing up slightly, not as early as I used to a little bit disheveled, maybe a little bit hungover from last night, swiping my badge, trying to get my, my phone into the box, get to the computer and then make it to the first meeting on time. I started, and then my ramp up of, uh, medical appointments, I started really asking myself the hard question. Are you now part of the problem Right. as a staff guy? And I, I couldn't answer, I couldn't look myself in the mirror anymore and say definitively I was not. Um, so that really helped me make the decision. It was time because there's a a bigger, faster, stronger, smarter version of me that needs the opportunity and it, it's time. So those things kind of came together and I knew it was time for me. So, per, you know, looking at it um, predictively, I kind of started my own transition about two years out and I just doing what I could mm-hmm. on the weekends, doing what I could in the evenings, started reading differently and consuming different material. And then um, I heard about the the Honor Foundation, so I went through it as a fellow. So I'm an alumni of the course, um, Group 15 in San Diego, and um, it's you know, I had done a bunch of different things up until that point. I had been to. There's a lot of Americans who are doing great work in the transition space. It's not totally right, effed, right. like everyone says. Like there's there's really good right. stuff out there. Doesn't make it any easier mm-hmm. necessarily. It's still really hard, but there's good people it's doing good work. work that you don't even hear about. Um, but then I showed up at the Honor Foundation and I was completely blown away. And it it's like showing up at selection. Oh, I may not actually be ready. Like this is a different experience. Right. I showed up yeah. as ready as I could be, but this is really testing me because they didn't start with resume and LinkedIn and those things. They asked me to think about myself. I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what every guy does the first couple of next weeks. Next question, please. But then yeah. as you go through it, <laughs> next question, that doesn't apply to me, obviously. Swipe left. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I, I was really, um, again, I'm grateful and I feel very fortunate to have gone through that and experienced it. And when I was offered the opportunity to stay as a staff member, I leapt at it. Um, and so I've literally been there ever since, spent the last five years helping um, thousands of special operations veterans transition um, and do so. Look, transition gets talked about primarily in one way, and it's a big, long checklist of 
figure out your VA, figure out how to get out of, you know, big army, big Navy, big Marine Corps, big, you know, whatever service branch, get out of your unit. There's a bunch of big checklists. And then you've got a whole checklist for job stuff and a whole checklist for insurance, and a whole checklist for it. And look, that is change management. That's actually not transition. Mm-hmm. They are right. necessary steps that are one and done that you, okay, did that, check the box. And they're necessary. Like you have to do it. You should do it well. You should do it the best you can. But that is not the transition. And what yeah. was availed to me through the Curriculum with the Honor Foundation was it's about identity, community, making sense right. of the world, purpose, and meaning in life. And those are the things that don't happen on a checklist. They don't happen overnight. They may not happen in three months. And I'm five years into it. And I'm just now figuring some shit out. So if you're in transition and you just started, it, yes. you've got a ways to go. Yeah. It, it doesn't end just because you <laughs> check the block on the VA. There's more to go. Right. Right. There's so much to say about it. Um, we've got, we've been going through our own transition. My husband, you know, uh, retiring from the army and mm. we're two years in and I'll say we're still, we'll still, yeah, thank you. But we're still figuring it out. And I helped stand up a transition program that was about the things that you're talking about, the deeper things. Um, and it's, and it's yeah. still a process. I'll just say that like it is, it is exciting, but it's also scary. Mm-hmm. I think um, when you are laying down, you know, that uh, part of your life, you do want security, you know, for the first time you feel like you mm-hmm. don't know where your next paycheck is going to come from and fear causes a whole different set of behaviors than Mm -hmm. um, excitement and hope. So I feel like that is Mm -hmm. what your team is bringing, bringing to the table, but you have a ton on your plate. You're very busy. I mean, you and I'm sure your whole team, you continue to push the limits. And we're going to talk about one of those things that you guys are, are pushing out here in a minute, but um, what to bring it back to you though, what, what keeps you going? during the tough times and like still ready, willing, available to serve. Mm. I think it's, I think it's a combination of waking up every day and jumping right into being grateful for any, the first thing that it lays my eyes on in the morning Um, through having a team that I currently work with that is much like being on a special operations team. I mean, they are, we are moving at the speed of trust and we're doing it um, from on all three coasts, East coast, West coast, and down to Florida. And we're and now in, in the central United States and Kentucky and we're, excuse me, Tennessee, excuse me. Um, and we're moving fast. And it's because everyone is extremely talented, driven, and it's trying to set the bar just a little bit higher because of that friendly competition. Um, <laughs> and we all care uh, right. more than I can tell you about the individual fellow who comes in on night one like this. Exactly. Love it. And then leaves arms on graduation yeah. like, oh my God. Right. Mm-hmm. And the the transformation mm-hmm. that happens just in the three months, um, that makes it really easy to wake up 
and it doesn't matter what the, you know, the aches and the pains and the, the mortgage bearing down on me and, and all the other things of life. Like I I'm surrounded by really good people on my team and I'm, um, yeah, I'm just grateful and, and it fuels me. Can I ask you a question about gratitude? You've mentioned it several so times. It, Was that something that came natural or like, how did you find that? Mm-hmm. My grandmother, who was extremely influential um, from my, when I was knee high to a grasshopper, um, <laughs> you know, she would read the Bible in the morning and say, Mikey, what are you grateful for? And mm. I didn't understand how important that was way back when, right? Skip forward three decades where I've stopped doing that. Um, and then in, as I started getting into my own meditation practice and listening and kind of expanding my comfortability with other ways of taking care of yourself, yoga and, and other things, the realization that how good it feels almost instantaneously to just say, I'm grateful for this conversation right now. As challenging right. as it might be, I'm really grateful for this. And, and all the other things that cascade or stem from and how it can just change your mind. And in some way, kind of like we all know intuitively, it's like seer. Everything's like seer. You got to get small victories and keep moving forward. I'm wearing my seer shirt today. Yes. Shout out to seer. I know. It's such a <laughs> It's true. Those small victories, it changes everything. And it, your perspective changes your behavior. And that changes your day. Yeah. And that changes your life. And it changes other people's lives. So thanks for diving into that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> another aside that I feel like was really important. And we, when I say we really, I mean, people like Trey Free, like at these top tiered units are now new operators. We're trying to teach them the power of gratitude. Like um, before you find it mm. in the depth of your despair, you know what I mean? Um, start using it now. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm yeah. going to get back on track now. Tell us uh, about Vector Accelerator, if you will. Yeah. So Vector Accelerator. So the Honor Foundation has been around about 10 years as of this recording. Um, we've always known and it's always been in the design of uh, the Honor Foundation to be able to scale the appropriate piece of curriculum to all veterans in transition, the 200,000. Um, and what we're trying, what we're endeavoring to do with Vector Accelerator is bring it to market at scale and do it in such a way that is not diluted because we know that we have to go online. The problem with our, the problem with our demographic, all veterans is we've done so much online training. We're used to going click, 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 got my certificate. Right. Here you go. SEA, right. leave me alone. <laughs> I'm, I'm cybersecurity certified. I didn't learn anything. Right. I don't know really anything except for maybe not click on this but I went through it as fast as I could. And so we, we've been very thoughtful about that. Um, but how do we help people really grapple with the existential questions that I mentioned yeah. earlier? Yeah. You're going to lose your identity. You're going to lose your community. The world is not going to make sense to you and it's going to happen rapidly and it's going to leave you disoriented and untethered. And then you're going to call into question your own purpose. What does your service even mean? 
what am I, how do I carry that forward at what do I carry forward from it? And all of that falls into question. What is the meaning of my life for the life in general? Right. And that's why we find our brothers and sisters in the most dangerous time of their lives, even including combat, I would think, I don't know. I haven't done the actual math on that. Statistics would say yes. That -hmm. is why suicide rates are so high in in transition. Yeah. 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 That is So we're we're trying to bring uh, that in such, you know, to really help everyone grapple with that. All the, you know, all veterans grapple with that in a meaningful way so that they feel supported and can now move forward with the rest of the things that necessary change management change manage, management checklist that is done in right. a way that is intentional that is they're not just seeking any old job because they're you know, they're Two kids, they just their need a paycheck. They're down on, them right, on the exactly. first. Yeah. So we're There's trying more. to change that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you um, you will end up saving lives. Uh, there's so much that the average service member doesn't get access to. Um, you know, we started the conversation mm-hmm. talking about people in special operations, and um, they all deserve um a, a good transition program because it's it's different you're right it's not just a checklist what you mentioned earlier in our conversation um transitioning now being difficult mm-hmm. in a different way so now i want to dive into that what mm-hmm. do you mean by that yeah so if you look at um you know we'll just go back to um say world war ii era transition through literally today what you had during all the time periods previously was a, a very set known world at a minimum the world stage was set there's only a couple of superpowers global norms are as such there's not a lot of things in question and the further you move forward especially it accelerates uh, after after vietnam and especially once you enter gwat era and then you couple that with um AI and all the other like technologies that are coming online, the biotechnologies that are actually scaling faster than Moore's law, which we don't see the implications of yet because they're not out in the public space, like a, like a phone or like the headphones you and I are wearing right now. It's, it's, it's affecting us in a very different way. And it's going to feel like overnight when CRISPR really does change the face of humanity or some other gene editing technology. So if you add all of these things together, plus you add, there's no longer the global norms are being contested across multiple spheres. Um, If you're looking at the, just the United States um, and the strength of the economy, especially over a historical period, that is in question for the first time in a very long time. Mm -hmm. So, and then you you just pile on the natural existential questions of that we've been talking yeah, about, and it just right. it exponentiates right. the complications of of all of it. And it and then you add the misinformation misinformation and bullshit that I mentioned earlier as well mm-hmm. through all of right. the social yeah. media means, and it's very hard to weed your way through to find signal from noise what is truth. Yes, and at, yes. at almost every level, so it just it that. adds to it finding signal from noise. That's so good. 
Okay. We could go on forever. What's the best way if people are interested in Vector Accelerator specifically or Honor Foundation or or even trying to reach out to you, Halty? What's the what's the best way to do that? What should they do first? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I would say uh, LinkedIn is – I'm going to say LinkedIn first just because it is the most powerful platform in human history, oh, by the way, <laughs> to make connections with other professionals, like real genuine connections. Um, it mm-hmm. hasn't been completely invaded by bots yet and all the other problems, although they're there. Um, it's not perfect. Right. But if you really want to get real transition work done in terms of that big, long checklist and some other things, that's the best place to start. Once you're on there, if you're okay. in special operations, go to honor.org, follow us. Okay. If you're um, if you're one of the rest of the military veteran force, um, vectoraccelerator.org is a, is a great page, page to follow. Um, and start tracking that information. We'll start um, updating that uh, here shortly. And then uh, Michael G. Halterman, I've added my middle initial to differentiate because there's always lots of Michaels. Um, I'm, I'm happy to connect with any veteran, any first responder, talk about transition spouses um, who, are, who, who don't get a lot of airtime. Um, it's you all deserve a great transition. And it's not only good for you, it's good for America. So I'm all in on it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, okay. This is going to be my last question. I think uh, I hold the right to ask more questions, but um, here it is. So if someone listening to your story from, <laughs> from beginning to end and they're sitting there, they feel a call to serve, right? They feel this urge to do something yeah. bigger or be a part of something bigger, make an impact, make a difference, but they don't know where or how to get started. What is your advice for them? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Pay attention to that urge. You will, you will inevitably have a lifelong regret. If you don't, not all service looks the same. You can serve in your community. If that's the capacity you have, you can serve at many different levels. Schools need us. Um, many of our public institutions need us. Um, it doesn't have to be in uniform necessarily. But right. I will say if you're a young gentleman and you're in reasonably good shape or you could get in reasonably good shape if you got your ass off the couch or out of your parents' That's house. That's all of you. <laughs> and you put in some real effort. It is the event. It is the adventure of your life, and if you don't do it, you will have some of the deepest regrets at the end of your life. If you don't at least try, so yeah, that's what I would say. It has been an honor having you on the podcast, and uh, I look forward to all of the great things um, that you know you you continue to do within your means and on your team and super excited about this new program. That's like involving everyone. When you say 200,000 people, I mean, like that just gives me chills yeah. and it's about time. So it's awesome. Anyway, thank you for your service back in the day. And thank you for your service now. And thanks for being here today. Thank you, Barb. Very grateful for this opportunity. Hey, 
Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another incredible episode of In the Name of Service. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. And of course, feel free to share with those you feel would like to be inspired. Have a difference maker in your life that you'd like to see featured? Reach out to Dr. Barb Thompson at in the name of service at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.